Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and 34. And so will you guys please stand as we give honors to God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all the covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God? And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Your life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens that neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small as a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown to the oven, how much more will he clothe you, or you of little faith? And do not seek what you are here to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray with me. As call opened up, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth and the heavens. You spoke and the heavens and the earth came to existence. You care about all that, but you also care about us individually to the point of everyday living, such as the exchange of money and how money and how we are to spend and live in this world. So, Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. You, you who have began a good work in us, you will bring it to pass. And so I pray if there's anyone in here who's doubting that you would give faith to those who are doubting. You would give hope to those who are in despair and encouragement to those who are downcast. And you would give joy to those who are dejected. Lord, there's no hoops for them to jump through, just a person to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us to have, Lord, may we, may we focus our lives and continue to build our lives on the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. All right. Who in here would have loved to live and be under Jesus' ministry when he was teaching? Go ahead and raise your hands. Yeah, all of us, right? Who wouldn't was? I mean, how, how cool would it have been to listen to Jesus teach 
on the shores of Galilee while he's on that boat. And we're sitting and we're listening. How cool it would be to hear the tone of his voice and to be able to see his facial expressions and to see if he talks with his hands, right? I mean, that's what I'm thinking. And of course, we know he does talk with his hands because he was Jewish. So, you know, he was talking. He was expressive, right? I mean, how cool would that have been? It would have been awesome. I would have loved it. You would have loved it until he started preaching about money, right? And then we would probably like, we might have been in the front row raising our hands, preaching Jesus, preaching Jesus. And all of a sudden he starts talking about money and then we just might kind of go into the back. Well, Jesus knows we need to talk about money. It's one of the top three things that causes division in any kind of family and relationship and stress and worry. He knows this. This is why Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. This is why Jesus talked about money more than anything except for the kingdom of God. With the kingdom of God and then money. And 11 out of 39 parables in the scriptures, we're going to take a look at one of them, deal with money. So money is an important topic in how we relate to it. And so I, I looked up some stats on money. These are actually a couple years old. And not your basic stacks like groceries and what you drink and how much gas you put in your car, but some that are a little bit different. Like this, ringtones on phones. Worldwide, people spend $5 billion on ringtones for their phones. All right? How many of you are guilty of spending ringtones on your phone? Go ahead and raise your hand. No, you don't have to. It's okay. All right, I get you. How about this one? Dollar stores. I mean, they're like in every little small town you go, right? Dollar stores. $30 billion a year on dollar stores. That's how much it makes. Here's my favorite, Girl Scout cookies. Amen? <laughs> Amen. $800 million. I think I spent $750 million on Dosey Doughs, those little peanut butter ones, you know what I'm saying? Amen, Girl Scout cookies. And then finally, Halloween costumes for your pets. This is crazy. $310 million. If you do that, stop it. Those guys, stop it. Stop it. Altogether, these four things total $36 billion. Isn't that crazy? Who wants to open up a dollar store that sells Girl Scout cookies, ringtones, and pet costume for Halloween? Amen? I'm in the wrong business. I'm, this is my last day at the crossing. That's what I'm going next. Okay? Again, here's some, you know, some stats that kind of loosen us up. But let's also couple, point out a couple other quick points. We all struggle with money. We all struggle with money. There's not a person in here, there's not a person on the planet that doesn't struggle with money at some form or fashion. So let me do kind of maybe a first here at the crossing. Look to your neighbor and say, you too? Go ahead, do it. I know. You too? You struggle with money? Yeah, we all do. All right? It's an idol we all have to battle. And Jesus knows this. This is why he talks to us about it. And number two, God has given us guiding principles to use money and not to be used by money. You see, money is neutral. Nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with wealth. Nothing wrong with riches. It's a, it's a gift that God has created and uses for His glory. And it's the love of money that gets us in trouble. It's the love, it's the craving of money. When we make money ultimate, that we get in trouble. That causes all kinds of evil. Again, Jesus understands this. This is why this morning he warns us and exhorts us and encourages us to keep our eyes focused and fixed on him as our greatest treasure. 
And as we do that, as we focus our eyes on Christ as our greatest treasure, then we'll be able to use our money and our resources as a force multiplier for God's glory, for God's kingdom, and what? And also our joy. We'll be able to enjoy the money that He has given us. So let's look at this. First, in Luke 12, 13 through 21, we see a warning against greed. A warning from Jesus to us against greed. Jesus, as you guys know, has been teaching the last several chapters to crowds. He's been hitting the crowds. He's been hitting the Pharisees. He's been hitting the disciples with all kinds of topics. It's been kind of heavy. He's been, he's been doing some woes. He's been doing some calling out. He's been meddling in people's business. He's been getting in, in people's you know, hearts and minds and exposing uh, their sin. And then all of a sudden, verse 13, someone in the crowd, this dude just shouts out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this guy obviously hasn't been listening to Jesus at all, but he's still focused on just himself. And he cries out to Jesus and he tells him, he demands, tell my brother to give me my money. And so Jesus answers him. And before he does that, I just want to pause and think, like, what do we have here? We have two brothers arguing over a fair uh, inheritance. It's an inheritance squabble. A good old family feud, right? I looked up family feuds, famous family feuds over inheritance, and there's a, there's a list. But I don't need to give examples outside your families. We all have probably heard or even experienced these kind of family squabbles in our own family, huh? It's all fine and dandy when Uncle Tom and Uncle Joe are, are hanging out, but as soon as the variable of money inheritance gets in there, all of a sudden we can get at each other's throats. And think about that for a second. The Bible. People say, oh, it's so outdated. I mean, we look around us and we got all these technological advancements. We got all these, uh, you know, advancements, physiology, uh, as far as uh, infrastructure and medicine. And man, we're way ahead. But the human heart is still the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. The family feud squabbles that we have over inheritance were back then, and they're alive today, aren't they? So we know this. So Jesus responds in verse 14. But he said to him, man, who has made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't get involved in the family squabble. He doesn't deal with this external problem of these brothers. Now, there are judges, he says, that are that you take them, you go, you take your problems to the judges, they'll figure it out. Me, I gotta be focused on the kingdom. He says, no, this isn't an external problem, but he goes deeper. He takes the, the question and uses it as a teachable moment to the crowd because he knows the crowd, and he knows their hearts. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to get to their hearts about money. This is what he says. Look in verse 15. And he said to them, the brothers, but also the crowd listening and to us this morning. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. Again, Jesus reads the hearts of the crowd. He reads the hearts of his brothers. And he gives them and us a warning about covetousness and greed. What is covetousness? What is greed? Those are synonymous words. Here's one definition to have an insatiable desire for something more than you are due. Another way to describe it is a craving for something that you don't have. Again, a heart issue, whether you lived in the past or the present or even the future. We all have experienced greed. 
gripping our hearts. Covetousness gripping our hearts. We are all on loving, level playing fields when it comes to this topic. It's the natural bent of sinful flesh. It's the natural bent. It's one of the natural desires that we have apart from Christ. Covetousness, greed, and Jesus knows this. And that's why he highlights money here and takes this opportunity to teach us. Now, he says, be on guard against all covetousness. Now, there's a number of things that we could covet. We could covet people, relationships, right? We can cover professions, jobs. We can also covet possessions, and that's what he zeroes in on here. Possessions, money, wealth. Jesus knows this. This has been a universal problem again since the beginning, since Adam and Eve. Covetousness, greed is what turned them away from God. I will be like God? How about David? What was he coveting? What was he greedy with? He wanted another man's wife. What is it for you? Fill in the blank. But again, let's hone in on money. This is why Jesus starts out in verse 15. Be on guard. Take care. Watch out. This is, this is, these are warfare terms. This is warfare language that he is using. Go to battle against greed and covetousness. Because this sin can easily sneak up on us. I mean, you just think of the marketing world we're in right now. I mean, we're constantly getting fed images, deals. You need this, you need this, you need this. Ads, right? Constant bombardment. This is the one sin that I think out of all the sins we are the most desensitized to. It's almost like we are like the frog in the boiling water. That's like to describe covetousness in our lives and in our hearts. You guys know the, the illustration, right? If the water's burling, uh, boiling and the frog jumps in it, he immediately jumps out. But if a frog is in just some water, it's tepid, and you just keep turning the heat up in incremental ways till it gets to the boiling, he won't jump, he won't dry out, and he'll just be boiled to death. This is why Jesus says, be on guard. Watch your heart with greed and covetousness because it can sneak up on us. I've probably been, and I don't know, Hundreds and thousands of small group meeting, accountability groups, whatever you guys want to talk about. And I've heard people confess all kinds of things. Gossip, lust, anger. But I sat and thought like, have I ever in my 30 plus years of Christianity ever heard someone said, hey Aaron, I'm too greedy. Never. Think about that. When's the last time you heard someone said, hey, Aaron, I'm coveting so-and-so's whatever. Very rare, very rare. And yet this is one of the biggest temptations and sins that we all battle. So Jesus tells us, be on guard. Watch out. Look at your heart. Ultimately, why? Because greed, covetousness takes our focus and our heart off of what's the most important. And that's Jesus and his kingdom. Verse 15 ends with this. For one's life. For one's life means the life that really matters does not consist in abundance of earthly possessions. True life, where true life really is, is not in stuff. And yet that's what covetousness and greed takes us from, takes us to. I heard a... (laughs) read about a guy this, this, this week. 
he uh, just bought a brand new red Ferrari. You know, and he's all pumped. He's, he's cruising down Rodeo Drive, parks it, opens up the door, and some car just comes and <laughs> takes off his door. And he just jumps out. The car keeps going. He sees his door flying down there. He's like, oh, my Ferrari, my Ferrari, my Ferrari. Cop comes, sees him, and the dude's just wailing about his Ferrari and his door. And the cop's going like, dude, where's your left arm? You lost your left arm. And the guy looks down and goes, oh, my Rolex, my Rolex, my Rolex. Right? That's the mentality he's talking about here. Covetousness. Those who, who have the mentality that those with the most toys wins, that mentality, that's where their identity is wrapped up in their possessions. Now again, let me hear this. Jesus, nowhere in Scripture, condemns wealth, condemns money, condemns having a nice car, condemns having a nice house, condemns having five fly fishing rods like me. doesn't condemn that anywhere. Maybe five fishing rods. You only need a couple. You need three. All right. Um, but again, money's not bad. It's when it becomes central. When you crave it. It becomes an idol. That's why God says you can't serve both God or, not Satan, but money. That's what he equates to. Jesus then gives us an illustration. Look in verse 16. He tells us why. All right. Kick move books. All right, here we go. You've got too much stuff on here. All right. Jesus tells us why greed is so bad. And he does it through a parable. And notice all the, the pronouns that are used here. Verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced. Not the rich man, but the land that the rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, look at the pronouns. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store up my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat and be married. Where's this guy's focus? What's his attention on? What is he solely focused on? He's solely focused on himself and what he has done. Instead, of recognizing that it was God who blessed him. The land of the rich man produced. Oh, he just happened to get good rain. God's the one that gave him the produce. He's the one that gave him a great crop, which made him wealthy. And instead of acknowledging God's goodness towards him, he decided to take all the credit for himself. And then he took all the credit. He laid up treasures for himself alone. He was only interested in hoarding, accumulating and building bigger barns and enjoying his riches by himself. Nobody else. And look at verse 19. You know you're in trouble when you start talking to yourself like this. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and drink, and be merry. This is why greed is so bad. This is what greed can do to a person. It gets us eyes off of the things that are most important, Christ and the kingdom of God, and puts them on the things of this earth. It gives us a false sense of success, security, and control. Think about it here. Success. Look at all that I have done. Look at all that I have produced. I did all this. Security. I have ample goods. I have ample goods. Control for many, many years. 
And then look at verse 20. But God. This but God is one of the biggest buts in the Bible. Why? Because about all the parables, this is, I believe, the only parable where God inserts his own name. Where he inserts himself into the story. Why? Because he's showing this man who truly is God. Not him. Not his self-centeredness, not his selfishness, not his dependence, all on him. He is the one that we are dependent on. But God said to him, fool. When God starts calling you a fool, you know you're in trouble. Fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Do you remember what Rich taught about a couple, couple weeks ago? Don't be, don't be afraid of the one who can kill just the body. Remember what Jesus says, be afraid of the one who kills the body and the soul. And again, look at this last line in verse 20. And the things you have prepared, whose will it be? Again, this man had a short-sighted goal. A temporal. It was temporal. It didn't, have any, it didn't think about the eternal or the length. It just thought about the here and now. And C.S. Lewis's words echo so true in this one that our desires are once, they're not too strong, but they're too weak. This guy's desires, his goals were too weak because he was just thinking about temporal blessings. He wasn't thinking about eternal blessings. He wasn't thinking about his soul. He was just thinking about his physical well-being. A man passed away and his lawyer was there. They're at the funeral. Another guy came up to him and to the lawyer and said, hey, who did he leave off his stuff to? Or what did he leave behind? And the lawyer said, all of it. He left it all behind. Verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So is the greedy one. So is the one who is greedy towards himself and not generous towards God. Now, it's easy for us to, to read this parable and be like, this isn't talking about me because I'm not rich. You don't, you don't see me building a number of extra barns, right? So this is talking about someone else. Well, let me just give you some statistics on wealth and poverty kind of in the world today and where you and I might fit. Did you know that there's like three billion people who live on less than two dollars a day? Do you know how many people are in, who are on, in the world or on the globe? Like 8 million. So almost half of the globe, half of the people that are living on earth live on less than $2 a day. If you are single and you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top richest 6% in the world. When people in other countries read about rich men, read about rich women, they think about the United States. They think about you. If you grab someone from whatever, some, some of these continents that are, again, are living on $2 a day, and you bring them to your apartment, and you drive them in your car, and they see you got three TVs and four computers and clothes and shoes, and they're like, you're wealthy. Now, again, nothing wrong with having money. Having good stuff and having a nice house. Nothing wrong with that. We don't build barns, but some of us put our stuff in storage units. 
Some of us pack our garages full of stuff, which makes our cars homeless, right? (laughs) Can't even park our cars in there because there's too much stuff in our garage. God has blessed you. God has blessed me. God has blessed us to live in the greatest country, the United States. We are blessed like no other country or people in, in the history of the world. And that's good. We should be thankful for that. And keep it in its right spots. We can use it again for God's glory and our good. Several years ago, a pastor summed this up. I heard this message and this pastor summed up money kind of in the Bible. And it really stuck out with me. He says there's two ways that you can use money throughout the scripture, summarizing it. He can use money righteously or you can use money unrighteously. You see, money hits both the rich and those in poor. For the rich, they, they boast about all their money. They show off their money. Uh, they can sin and do stuff with a whole bunch of money that you and I cannot do. But the poor also, they, they, they fret about how much money they don't have. They complain. And then it causes them to sin in other ways. Because they don't have money, they start to go out and maybe steal this or that or, or whatever, right? So there's a righteous way and an unrighteous. So this, think about it this way. There's the righteous rich and there's the unrighteous rich. There's the righteous middle class, the unrighteous middle class. There's the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. Think about who some of the righteous rich might be in the scripture. You can think of Abraham. You can think of David. You can think of Boaz. You can think of Lydia, who start, helped start the, 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 the church in Philippians. Now, like I was thinking, like, man, who are some good Christians that are rich that I can think about that everyone would know? And I was like, oh, man, that's tough. But, I, but there's one, Tim Tebow, right? Everyone knows who Tim Tebow is. That dude's legit. I, I have, my, my daughter goes to church with him. He's a legit dude. He's a guy that loves God. He, yes, he has nice stuff for himself, but he uses it to bless others, to serve others, to build God's kingdom. Who's an unrighteous rich? This farmer. A guy like Jeffrey Epstein. The guys like that that use their money to exploit others for their own pleasure. That's unrighteous. We, we see that around. How about the righteous poor? The, we'll, we'll talk about this lady, the, the, the widow that gives her two cents to offer. She gives all that she has. That's righteous. I think of my wife's grandma who lives down on 4th Street in Albuquerque. One of the, probably one of the nastiest streets in all the country. She's there, and she just uses all of her resources to bless everyone around her, serving her own family. She's passed away now, but bringing people off the streets that are struggling with, with drugs and other things. She used her resources for others to share Jesus with them. The unrighteous, those who blame and look at themselves as a victim, who feel entitled to have what everyone else has and does not work for, but wants everyone to give it to them. Those are unrighteous poor. So that's a good grid to kind of help us think and, and see where we're at. Let me, let me just give you some questions to help you and me guard against greed and coveting. I thought about these questions myself. I've been thinking about them. And so I got three of them. Here's the first one. Ask yourself and really think about these. Pray through these this week. Do you think more about material things or God's kingdom? What do you think about more? What's more on your mind? God's kingdom or the next thing that you need to possess. Remember, where your treasure is, it says, there your heart will be also. How about this? Do you feel entitled to things that others have, but you don't? Do you look at your friends, or even your family, and be like, man, they have that, they don't deserve that, I deserve that. Is that maybe something you do? Do you get jealous? How about this last question, third? 
Do you give your first and best to God's church and kingdom? Or do you use your resources and give reluctantly? Or give what's left over, not your first? Or not even give it all? Martin Luther said this, again, another quote that stuck with me. He said, there are three, this is pretty good, there are three conversions necessary for the Christian life. The conversion of the heart, conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the checkbook, right? We all know that. So secondly, we're going to be in that, that's our longest point. Now we'll rip through the last, last two. An exhortation to, of anxiety. An exhortation against anxiety. Look at Luke 12, 22 through 31. Now, again, some people like to teach this section on an island referring to anxiety and worry. But the context here is about money. That word, therefore, ties it all up. It's specifically talking about worrying about being anxious about money. Look at verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious or do not worry about your life or what you will eat or nor about your body or what you will put on. For life is more than it's more than. Food, the body, and more than clothing. Again, that kind of reiterates verse 15 and verse 21. So we do take care of ourselves. We we, we do buy food. We do clothe ourselves. We do take care of our body. That's good, but it's not ultimate. Life is more than that. It's more about more than physical life. There's a a better life, a spiritual life (coughs) that we should be striving for. And then Jesus gives us several illustrations of why not to be anxious in verses 24 through 31. We're not going to go through all these. I'm just going to summarize them. And here's the thing you need to know. It's, he summarizes them from the lesser to the greater. Right? From the lesser to the greater. If what is true about the lesser, then this is going to happen for the greater. It's going to happen for the greater if it's true. If it's true about the greater, it's going to happen for the lesser. Sorry. There we go. There you go. Now, Animal, the animal rights group PETA might not like to hear this, but God loves you more than he loves animals. All right. He loves you more than he loves the birds. We are not equals. Here's a summary. If God takes care of the lesser things in the world, verse 24, the ravens, verse 27, the lilies, the flowers, verse 28, the grass. If he takes care of those things. How much more, verses 24 and 28, how much more is he going to care and provide and bless the greater, you, the image bearers of God? How much more? When you think about, let me ask you a question. When you think about the future, your future, I want you to think about your future and provision. How is it going to come about? How are you going to survive? How are you going to be pride for yourself? What gives you a feeling of security? Do you immediately think about the Lord God? And his providence over your life? Or do you think about money and the resources that you have? If you think about money, if that's what you think about, if that's what you put your hope in, you're going you're to be stingy with your money. And you're going to worry a lot. You have a lot of anxiety. You're going to be a worry wart. But if you focus on the Lord, if he is your foundation, you're going to be emotionally secure. Emotionally stable generous and thankful. Now, I'm not saying you're never going to worry. You're never going to have anxiety because we all do. But when you start to feel the worry, when you start to feel the anxiety, you're going to start to look to God. Let me just give you an example. Well, first this, the best way to defeat and overcome anxiety and worry in your life, especially around finances and money, is through faith in the Lord. 
That's the best way. That's how you defeat anxiety. That's how you defeat worry. You look to the Lord and you believe in his promises. I love what George Mueller said. He said this. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. You want to eliminate anxiety and worry? Some of you guys are worried and having high anxiety in life right now over your finances. Believe in the Lord. Let me just give you another example, personal example. These verses, this verse here in Luke and then also in Matthew chapter 6, have been kind of a go-to verse for me for the past 30 years and provided for my family. So you guys know we have five kids. Um, we had five kids in seven years. Um, a lot. Kids, kids aren't cheap. All right. Especially in northern Colorado. Um, and there have been times we've been really thin financially. In fact, I used to go and park at Rowan Moore Park some nights before I'd go home and I would just sit in my van at that time and just cry out to the Lord, like, Lord, I don't, you got to show up because I don't know where this money's coming from to pay our bills, to buy diapers, to buy food. You know, I, I don't know. We're out. I've had those moments. Have you had any of those moments? And what I did back then, and what I still do today when I feel worry and anxiety come up, the first thing I do is, like I said, stop and I pray. I pray. I confess that I may have been a little bit too dependent on myself, and I look to the one in whom who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I meditate on the promises of God, like here, and his goodness and his grace, and, and how he's going to take care of us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. And then you know what I do? I get out of my car. And I go for a walk and I look for fat ravens and green grass. That's what I do. And all of a sudden I say, "Ooh, fat raven. The Lord takes care of the ravens. If he takes care of the ravens, how much more is he going to take care of me? Ooh, flowers. Look how beautiful that flower is. If he adorns the flowers, how much more is he going to take care of me? And then all of a sudden my mind and my heart get off of my problems, off of my circumstances. And God shows up. He builds my faith. And then I can experience what King David rightly said in Psalm 37, 25. I have been old and now I, uh, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. That verse became a reality in my life, not just intellectually, but experientially, because the Lord showed up and answered my prayers. If you are 40 years or older, raise your hand high. Okay? Nice. Everyone else look around. Go ahead, keep them up. Everyone else look around if you're under 40. All right. Those of you under 40, this is why lifestyle discipleship is so important. Because you guys that are younger, just starting out, you might not have the trials, the tribulations yet around money. You might, but maybe not. And what you need to know is you need to get around those 40-year-olds because those guys are old now and those girls are old. So just let you see what I did there? If you're 40, you're an old man and old woman, all right? I'm 52, so I just lumped you guys in there. Make me feel a little better. Okay. But guys, get around those who are older than you because you might be struggling with money. College ain't no joke today on how much it costs. I got, I got, well, I got three in college right now. It's expensive, but you need to get around older people like me, my wife, and say like, hey, Tell me a story how the Lord got you through a difficult time with money. And we can share and exp- these verses and then share stories how the Lord shows up time and time again. 
This is going to build your faith. Amen? Real quickly, too, I want to say this. If you are struggling financially right now, if you are struggling to, 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 to buy some food, to, to, to buy clothes for yourself or your family, or maybe even to pay rent, come talk to me or one of the other pastors. The Lord just might answer your prayer requests through his people. And that's why we, we exist, to serve and love one another. So just to put that out there, because we understand that this struggle can be real. But we're called to help one another. The Lord uses us to help and bless one another. And again, if you are a disciple of Christ, dealing with any kind of anxiety or worry, this morning he is speaking directly to you. Again, these are red letters. This is Jesus talking. He's talking directly to you. He is saying to you, do not be anxious. I got your back. Trust me. And that leads to our third and final point. An encouraging promise. Encouraging promise. He gives us a warning. He gives us an exhortation. And he also gives us an encouraging promises. Luke 12, 32 through 34. He says, fear not. And hear the voice behind it. It's not like he's shouting at you, fear not. This is like a compassionate ship. Fear not, little flock. Here's the reason why you don't fear. For it is your father's good pleasure. It's his, it's his delight. It's his joy to give you the kingdom. Underline, circle, highlight this promise. This is a massive promise to you from <clears throat> King Jesus. Now, I know your English teacher told you never to mix metaphors, right? You guys ever hear that? Don't ever mix metaphors. Well, Luke mixes a metaphor right here. He uses shepherd and father. That God is our shepherd father. And what does a shepherd father do? He provides for us. He cares for us. He protects us. He guides us. He loves us under the care. He lays down his life for us. He does whatever it takes to protect and care for those under his wing. I just added a third one, a bird, a wing. Okay. But then he also, he freely gives. Good shepherd father freely gives. Fear not, little flock. What is your father's good pleasure to what? Give you the kingdom and everything that goes with the kingdom. Do you know what goes with the kingdom? Jesus. Eternal life. No suffering. No sin. No exploitation. Just joy. And joy. And gladness. And joy. And more joy. That's what He gives you. And notice, it's free. It's free. This is something you and I can't earn. It's free. Why is it free? Because first, God the Father gave His first and His best Jesus for you and me. And that's why we give our first. And that's why we give our best, because He first has loved us. He has first loved you. He sent His Son Christ down from heaven, down from riches to, to come to this world. To humble himself. To live the perfect life in your place and my place. To die on the cross for your sin and my sin. We should have been paying for those sins. But he did for us. He was buried. Three days later he rose again. Because of that. Because he gave his first and his best. Now we can do the same. We get the kingdom of God freely. So if you 
haven't bent your knee to King Jesus right now, if you've been pouring all your time and effort into your own little kingdom, your own temporal little kingdom, today is the day to repent of your sins and trust in Him and let Him give you something that is so great that it's going to blow your mind. So because you and I have a place in the kingdom of God, we can now live. We can now give generously, freely. It, can, it helps us loosen our grip on our own possessions that might possess us. And it helps us be on guard. Look at verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Some of us might need to do this. This is like radical grace. Because as I just said, our possessions possess us. They own us. They dictate our lives. And this is something radical. He's like, maybe sell some of your possessions. And I didn't say sell all of them. You still got to live. But you might have to do something radical. You might have to sell some things. Give things up because it's going to help you loosen your grip on greed. And it's going to help you put your faith more in Jesus. And you see the reward? It's going to provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure that is in heaven that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. I mean, you're storing up treasures in heaven that you'll be able to experience for a lifetime forevermore. So, how about this? How about all of us going to our garage or going to our little storage units or going even in our closets? And the things that have been there for, I don't know, two, three, five years... Why don't we go ahead and put them on eBay, Facebook Marketplace, whatever else is out there, sell them. And then those things, those give to someone who needs it. Or even better yet, I'm thinking about, I got, I got things in my garage right now that I got, okay, I'm going to put this on Realm. And I'm just going to give it away to someone that uses it because I don't need it anymore. And watch the Lord do a work in your heart because you're not only going to meet a physical need, but by chance, you might meet even a bigger need. You might help build another brother or sister's faith in the Lord who's struggling. And they might use you to, to bring them out of the valley. Or you might share with a, a, someone that doesn't know Jesus. And your generosity, your love, you are thinking about them when no one else is because everyone else is thinking about themselves. But they see you think about them and they say, I, I see you this need. Let me help you. They might ask you why you have a chance to share the gospel with them. They come to believe in Jesus. And guess what? We can't take cars to heaven. We can't take couches or golf clubs or clothes to heaven, but we can take people to heaven by God's grace. Amen. And there's nothing greater than that. So let's focus on this. Verse 31, seeking his kingdom. Let's seek his kingdom. I have a heavenly mindset, an eternal mindset, not a temporal mindset. And when we do that, it will share our hearts. We'll be seeking the right treasures, i.e. Jesus and his kingdom. And as we do that, all these earthly things will be added to us. Just like the birds and just like the grass and the trees and the flowers. They'll be added to us. And then we can praise the Lord for his goodness, his grace. To praise the Lord and give Him glory, and then us receive the joy. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture. Thank You for talking directly to us this morning about money. Lord, You are so good. You are so faithful. And Lord, I just again pray that we would fix our eyes on You as our highest and greatest treasure. 
that all of our hearts in here would again fix you as our highest and greatest treasure. That we would seek your kingdom for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.